Vulgate in that time. Two more pages to add to the packet going to East Anglia on the morrow. He was pleased with the work the Illuminator had done for him. Not too ornate, yet beautiful, worthy of the text. How he loathed the profane antics of beast and bird and fool inserted for amusement in the marginalia, the ostentatious colours, the lavishness that the Paris Guild produced. This Illuminator worked cheaper than the Paris Masters, too and the Duke said he could be trusted to be discreet. Voices drifted up from below, laughter, a snatch of song, then receded. Surely the girl would not be much longer. He must finish more of the translation tonight. He was halfway through the book of John. Shadows flickered around the room. His eyelids drooped. Jesus had faced down the temple priests. Whitliffe could face down a pope, or two. The coals shifted in the brazier, whispered to him, Souls perish while you dawdle. He dozed before the glowing embers. Joan knew she was late as she rushed up the stairs to Master Whitliffe's chamber. She hoped he was so busily engaged with his writing that he would not notice, but she had seen no candle glow from his window. Sometimes he hardly noticed she was there as she collected his soiled linen, swept his floor, emptied his chamber pot. Wouldn't it just be her luck that today he would be in one of his rare moods, asking about her family, how they spent their Sundays, if any of them could read? It wasn't that she resented his curiosity. In spite of his abrupt manner, he had kind eyes, and when he called her child he reminded her of her father who had died last year. But today she didn't want to talk to him. She was sure to cry, and besides he would not approve, she thought, as she fingered the relic hanging from a ribbon attached to a hemp string— it girdled her waist like a rosary. She smoothed her unbound hair beneath its shabby linen cap, took a deep breath, and knocked lightly on the oaken door. When she heard no response, she rapped again, louder, cleared her throat. "'Master Wycliffe, it's me, Joan. I've come to clean your lodgings.' She tried the handle on the door, and finding it unbarred, opened it just a crack. "'Master Wycliffe?' from the interior gloom, gruffly. Come in, child. You are late. We waste time. I'm so sorry, Master Wycliffe, but it's my mother, you see. She's very ill, and it's only me to see to the little ones. She scurried about the room while he watched, lighting the rushlights, their flames flickering as she opened the window and slung out the contents of his chamber pot. She collected his soiled linen into a bundle, conscious of his eyes on her. She never disturbed the papers on his desk. She had learned that the hard way. Shall I replace the candle, sir? Hmm. I've naught to replace it with. I've been waiting for you, so you could fetch more. I'm sorry. I'll go right away. She hoped he would not report her tardiness. Who knew when her mother would be well enough to return to her own work as a charwoman? He turned his chair away from the window to face her, held up his hand in a halting gesture. Your mother is ill, you say? Her fever is very high. She blinked back tears, then blurted out her confession. I've been to St. Anne's to beg the priest to pray for her. His mouth pressed into a tight line above the grey hairs of his beard. The priest's prayers are no better than yours, perhaps not as good. Yours may well come from a purer heart. He stood up, towering over her, austere in his plain robe and tight woolen cap that scarcely covered the grey hair flowing over his shoulders and mingling with his beard. What's that you have hanging on your belt? 
he asked. My belt, sir? Beneath your arm. Something that you call attention to in trying to conceal. This, sir? She held up the item in question. She felt her face flame. Why did his piercing gaze cause her to doubt what had seemed so right less than an hour ago? It is a holy relic, she said, dropping her head. The finger bone of St. Anne. I am to hold it when I say the Paternoster. The priest gave it to me. I see. And what did you give him? A sixpence, Master Wycliffe. A sixpence? He sighed, shaking his head, and then repeated, A sixpence out of your wages. He held out his hand. May I see this holy relic? She fumbled with the ribbon attached to her girdle, then handed him ribbon and relic. He examined it, rubbing it between his thumb and forefinger. It is soft for bone, he said. The priest said that's because of St. Anne's gentleness. Wycliffe weighed it in his hand, the scarlet ribbon dripping like blood between his fingers. It is pig's cartilage. It will do naught for your ailing mother. Cartilage? The unfamiliar word twisted in her mouth. Gristle, the stuff of a pig's ear, or tail, or snout. Gristle? The priest had given her a pig's ear to aid her prayers? He said he was giving it to her cheap out of Christian charity. Said it would usually cost much more. Pig's gristle for her mother? She couldn't stop the tears then. The tears that had been building up inside her all day. Now what was she to do? He handed her his clean, ironed kerchief. A kerchief that she recognized from last week's laundry. Listen to me, child. You don't need a saint's relic. You don't need a priest. You can pray for your mother. You can confess your sins directly to God. You can pray for your mother in our Lord's name. Our Father in heaven will hear you if your heart is pure. And then, then, after you have prayed, go to an apothecary and buy your mother a physic to heal her fever. I have no money for a physic, she said between sniffs. I will redeem the relic from you. While she mopped at her eyes with his now soggy kerchief, he went over to the table to retrieve his purse, reached into it, and extracted a shilling. Here, if there's aught left after you buy the physic, use it to buy a chicken to make a broth for your mother. Master Wycliffe, how can I thank— You don't have to thank me, child. Your church at least owes you that much, not to steal from you. I'm only returning what is yours. He unfastened the object from its cord and patted her hand. I'll keep the relic. You take the ribbon. He smiled, softening his austere features. It will be pretty in your hair. In her relief she wanted to hug him, but his dignity forbade it. Instead she dropped him a deep curtsy. Hurry before the apothecary in King's Lane shuts her door for the night. Be off with you. I will say a prayer for your mother, and it will cost you nothing. It wasn't until the chambermaid was gone that Wycliffe remembered the candles. He would have to go himself. But the night was still young. He could do several pages before fatigue overtook him, and he started to make mistakes. The nap had revived his body, and the circumstance that had just transpired had plumped up his resolve. He carefully locked the door behind him. Who knew what prying eyes might be abroad, 
and hurried down the narrow stairs and out the door in pursuit of light. Chapter 1 Norwich, East Anglia 1379 June 1, 2, 3 How many bells? Half Tom the Dwarf huffed his way to Norwich Market, squinting at the sun overhead and counting. Twelve peals called the monks to sext. He pictured them in his mind's eye, walking in black-robed silence to midday prayers, arms tucked in opposing sleeves, two abreast, one long line, writhing soundlessly through the cloister walk, like the eels that parted the marshy waters of the fens where he lived. He would not trade his own green sanctuary of willow and reed, for all their cold and splendid stone. The road was dusty and the sun hot on his back. He quickened his pace. If he didn't look smart, Thursday market would break up ere he got there. Thor's Day, that's what half Tom called it. He liked the old names celebrated in the stories he'd heard as a boy. Days when the Danes struggled with good King Alfred for the rule of Anglia. Bloody tales some, but filled with brave men, heroes all bold, strong, and tall. Half Tom had never met a real hero. The monks said they lived only in the old bard songs. They were certainly not abroad in Edward III's England. Was Edward still the king? He would ask in the market. More bells now. Their clappers raucous, strident. Like children clamouring for attention, they answered the cathedral's mother bells. Behind the city walls there were churches everywhere, built by wool merchants with cash from Flanders.